today's scripture reading comes from, still, the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3, this time, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. The word of the Lord. few weeks in this big picture living series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We have been celebrating and walking through this big picture plan of God in history. That is actually the most inclusive plan ever. See, where God's blessings were promised to Abraham's descendants, only the the Jewish people, God's blessings are now unleashed, available to every people group in every period of time in history and ever will be. Amen? Amen. And this blessing of God is made available to all who trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we have been singing about this morning. And as Bethany shared so well last week, on on the last part of chapter 3, Paul's prayer is that every follower of Jesus might enter into this fullness of knowledge, full knowledge of God's love because of what Jesus has done for us. So as we begin today, I have a question for all of you, including you as kids, all right? Have you ever been part of a secret plan? Nod your head if you've been part of a secret. What did you do with that secret? If you're like, if I'm like most of you, it feels really special to be part of a secret plan, right? And sometimes you actually want to go and tell other people, guess what? But you hold yourself back from doing that because you don't want to ruin the secret, right? Well, last fall, I was part of a secret plan. Charles, who's here today with Rachel, talked to me about his secret plan to propose to Rachel. And not only did he want to surprise her with the marriage proposal at one of her favorite places here in the city at the Arboretum, but he had arranged for many of her family and friends to surprise her 
at the church. So he needed to come up with a plan to get her to the church without her suspecting it. So he came up with a plan, and it was exciting to be part of the secret with friends and family waiting here at the church. I was receiving text updates from Charles. I said, okay, we're leaving now. We're on the way. And at one point, Rachel's family members who are here in this room were receiving FaceTime calls one after another from her because she was so excited to share about this news, but they refused to answer. (laughs) We were all here snickering, knowing we know what's going on. I'm sure she was frustrated at the time until she arrived at the church and realized the reason for all the mystery. Today, we're going to look at this. Oh, yeah, there's a picture of the surprise. Today, we're going to look at this first part of chapter 3, where Paul does a short interlude about his relationship with a mystery. And it's a particular kind of mystery that we are all invited to participate in as well. So today, we're going to look at the mystery, sharing the mystery, and enjoying the mystery. The mystery, sharing the mystery, and enjoying the mystery. So this chapter opens uh, with Paul's desire to be a faithful administrator or steward of God's grace. And this grace here is not just salvation in Christ. It's a specific expression of grace that Paul calls the mystery of Christ. What do we do with this word mystery? We might often think of God as mysterious because we don't actually understand all that God does. Or there's always something unknown about God. And of course, there's no way we would know all of God's ways unless we were God ourselves, right? But that is not the use of mystery here. And it's a false assumption to think that just because something is a little unclear to us or is unknown to us, that it might also be a little more divine and that God stays that way. Part of why we preach sequentially sometimes through books of the Bible is so that we won't keep things unknown to us or muddy for us and be as clear as we can so that we don't just let our imagination or just let our values be read into the text. So the Greek word for is, that's used here for mis- translated as mystery in English is mysterion. It shows up 21 times in the New Testament, six times in Ephesians, and four times just in this passage that we just read. Now this term does not refer to something that will Uh, that is unknown and will one day be resolved or um, solved like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. Rather, in the context of the ancient Near East, in which Paul writes, mystery refers to what is known only because God has revealed it. Mystery here is what is known because God has revealed it. So, mystery is something that was once unknown, but now has been made known because God chose to reveal it. And that's what verse 3 is about. And more specifically here, it is the revelation that Gentiles, that's you and I, most of us here, I think, are now included in Christ as equals to God's promises to the Jewish Jewish people, as he says in verse 6. This is the mystery that Paul is talking about. The mystery is that what was once seemingly irreconcilable, differences between Jews and Gentiles, differences between humans and the divine, differences between God the creator and all of creation, they are now brought together in Jesus. And in verse 6, that's why we see the term, the phrase, in Christ Jesus, faith in him, that we've gotten used to hearing. This is a very Paul phrasing. 
It's the key to understanding this mystery in Christ that he refers to. And this in Christ refers to several layers of union that I've already mentioned. Union between Jews and Gentiles. Union between humans and God. And between creation and um, God's desire to renew all things in creation through Jesus. So in these few verses, the mystery of this Christian faith is revealed. Paul isn't just talking about a mystery or that God is mysterious. We find his writing itself actually emphasizes the mystery of Christ, God's revelation, by touching on several important themes of the Christian faith. Just look at these, where I've highlighted a few of them for you. It talks about the ideas of grace and wisdom and gospel and mystery and ages and revelations, uh, revelation and Gentiles. They're all brought together here in these few verses. The good news that God declared in Jesus is that God is a God of revelation, not a God of realization. God is a God of revelation, not a God of realization. See, you see, we don't get God because we realize who God is. Or we realize that this is the way we have to do things in order to get God or to be a better person or to do these practices. We simply get God when God reveals his grace to us in Christ. And all we do is respond to that revelation. It's as clear as it needs to be for us to be in relationship with God. There's nothing left hidden. The good news is that we are joined to God and restored in relationship with God through faith in Jesus. But this mystery that Paul talks about actually widens our understanding of what the gospel is. The good news is that God always and will always have, has always had a secret plan since the beginning of creation to make all things new in Christ Jesus. God always had a secret plan, secret to us at least, at least until Jesus arrived, to bring Gentiles, that's non-Jewish peoples, into fellowship with God and on equal terms with the ancient people of the Jews. And this good news, this gospel, is that God has now accomplished it through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, who is also the world's Lord. This is the mystery that Paul is inviting all who would hear to live into. So maybe you've been listening and following along and you say, okay, I get it, Andrew. Good news isn't just that Jesus died for my sins. The good news is that we get to enjoy this relationship with God that God promised to the Jewish people. But okay, it's done. So why do we keep coming to this Jew-Gentile thing? Like, why is Paul going on for like three chapters about it? What's the big deal? See, Paul goes on to describe how he himself lives into this mystery, and he commits his life to sharing this mystery now revealed in Jesus. So I wonder what it has to say to us. In verses 7 to 9, Paul tells how his calling and his mission is to preach the good news to the Gentiles. Because God met Paul on this road to Damascus, he has now committed his life through hardship, despite hardship, despite persecution. We suspect that he's writing this letter while he's in prison because of his faith. He's, he's committed his life still to sharing the good news of what God is doing in the world. You see, it's a revelation that doesn't just come to us and make us feel good. It's a revelation when God reveals who God is to us in Christ, it enlists us, too, into God's purposes, as we discover here. 
You see, revelation doesn't come just for people to understand or to feel good, but it's so that we can all be enlisted in the service of the one who reveals. See, faith in Jesus isn't just this intellectual exercise. It isn't an emotional uh, salve. It's meant to be accompanied by action and service with and for Jesus. And Paul says here that he is a servant because of the gift of God's grace. He is a servant because of the gift of God's grace. In verse 8, we find that Paul himself sees himself as undeserving of this ministry of sharing the good news to Gentile people groups. He says that he is the least of all of the Lord's people. Can you imagine that? This guy wrote half of the New Testament. He'd been in prison. He planted multiple churches all over the Mediterranean. And he says, I'm the least. Despite being this great apostle of the Lord, he met Jesus himself in a vision on a road. He planted all these churches, but he never saw any of these as a sense of entitlement for himself before God. He understood that he deserved to be rejected by God because he had actually spent the first part of his life persecuting the church, killing Christians. And he said, all this I have is because of grace. I don't deserve this. This mission, I don't even deserve this mission. I wonder if that's how we feel about God's call in our lives. Everything that he did was the result of God's power in him. And that's why he talks about grace over and over again. It's not just about the grace of his salvation, but it's the grace of his mission and his ministry and his call to bring people into the kingdom of God. This grace we find is given for three purposes. In verse 8, it's so that he could preach the good news, uh, the, the riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Verse 9, he says, it's to, this grace is given so that I can make plain the administration or the stewardship of this mystery. I want to do the best with sharing this mystery that I have now entered into. And third, he says, to make known the wisdom of God to know all rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. This is part of his mission. And that last purpose is the result of the other two purposes. You see, when Gentiles, that's each one of us here, understand the riches of Christ, the church will be the place where the wisdom of God is made known to all the world, to rulers and authorities, as he states in verse 10. Now, this mission gives us great hope in the church. You see, the church of Jesus Christ actually has the most significant and powerful calling in all human institutions in the world. The church is more powerful than the U.S. government. The church is power, more powerful than the U.N. and the E.U. The and more significant. The church isn't just meant to be a bunch of people who quietly gather and do their own spiritual, personal spirituality. The church is meant to have global and eternal impact. When Jesus' followers live out this grace to be the church of Jesus Christ, living and sharing this good news, God does something in the heavenly realms. God, in the powers, in the principalities that affect our systems and institutions of the society that we engage with day to day in our lives. This gives us incredible hope. Sharing the good news of this mystery of God revealed in Jesus means that it's more than just sharing a couple of tracks. I don't know if people still do that anymore, like little printouts of this is the way to God. 
or sharing memes on your social media saying, right? It's more than praying for people's salvation. It's way more substantial than any of those things. It doesn't mean we don't do those things. It means that when we see broken things in this world, when we see injustice and racism and inequality and oppression and violence, we are moved to respond not just with anger, not just with cynicism, but with grace. And we were just learning in the, in the, um, the teaching hour this morning about what it means to give generously, give mercifully, give because we have been given much in Christ. For those who are in Christ, we, our hope isn't in broken things in this world getting fixed because of our agency, because of our action. Our hope lies in the broken things of this world getting fixed because of God's agency, because of God's action, but that happens through the church, through you and I, through the people of God. And that's why it's good news. It's not good advice. It's not good organizing. It's good news that we are proclaiming, that we are living into. When those who respond to this gift of God really see that it as good news, we are compelled to share this gift of God's grace. And remember again, grace here in this chapter is referring to not just Paul's salvation as he does in chapter 2. Grace here is talking about the grace of his ministry and mission to the Gentiles. And through grace, he has become a servant of this good news. Grace is not only what connects us to God and Christ to, and to one another, but it also recruits us. It enlists us and empowers us if we're willing to see the good news for what it is. Yeah, again, you might be asking, well, Andrew, it sounds great. I get it. If I'm honest, sharing the good news of God's plan for creation seems like a big job. It's hard work. Isn't that why we have people like you, like pastors? <laughs> or people like Liz and Dave to go on missions? And how do we know what Paul talks about for himself isn't meant to be, is meant to be for all Jesus' followers? Isn't he just talking about his own calling here? Can we play that, that card? This is your calling, not mine. Well, a couple things. First, if you were with us last week, Bethany preached this follow, the following section of this text, of this chapter, where Paul's prayer is for the Ephesian church, all of them, not just the leaders, not just those who are called, but everyone's called to explore and enjoy the mystery of the fullness of God that is made known to us in Jesus. And that includes sharing what Jesus shared. Even more, here's the thing to remember. More practically, we talk about what matters to us, right? We talk about what matters to us. Paul's invitation to all Jesus' followers is to share in what matters. This ma what matters is this life with God because they have found joy in God. Take note of Paul's reasons in verses 6 to 9. In verse 8, Paul references the unsearchable or boundless, I think that's what NIV uses, boundless riches of Christ, which means that there are unfathomable, inexhaustible resources that are available in Christ. That's what he talked about in, in the first chapter. Every spiritual blessing is now made available to you in Jesus. There's nothing held back. 
Can you, do you know what a million dollars looks like? It's like a stack of this, a hundred thousand, one hundred dollar bills. Okay, that's 10,000. A million is like that, a little pile in front of you. And then there's a hundred million is like a pallet. A billion is like, I don't know what, six pallets. And then a trillion is that many pallets. We can't even imagine that much money. But, and most of us, you know, talk about millions of dollars like we hope to get that. But that's nothing compared to what we are offered in Christ. The boundless riches of Christ isn't money. The boundless riches of Christ is far more valuable. It's the grace and the power for our salvation. It's for our life, for bringing all things. It's the power and the resource to bring all things in creation into unity. That's what we have in Christ. These all describe the richness of new life in Christ. It describes a new way of being human that is unveiled in Christ Jesus. People often think the Christian life seems like kind of a drag. You got to pray, worship, go to church, do some religious things, try to be holy. But you see, these activities are not what make the church. They are to make us into the church. These activities don't make the church. They don't define what the church is or what it means to be a Jesus follower. They are to make us so that we can actually be the church. To make us into a new people. To make us more like Jesus. These activities and spiritual practices are meant to be this delightful exploration and, and see what unfolds in the presence of God. These in, un, inexhaustible riches that are now available to us in Christ. N.T. Wright says this, being a Christian or Jesus follower is meant to consist of going from room to room in the king's palace, relishing the beauty and splendor of it all. Paul's mission is to invite others to share in this as well. See, he had all these newly established churches that he had planted and got started And they needed to find out what was rightfully theirs because of what King Jesus has given to them. And how Jesus has unleashed every spiritual blessing to those who are in him. And if they did so, if they appropriate it, if they explore it and enjoy it, they would be well on their way to maturity to be able to go forward without needing Paul to be around to tell them what to do. That was what Paul wanted. We share what we treasure. We share what we treasure, right? In social settings. What are you inclined to share about? Today is Super Bowl Sunday. Are you inclined to share about that? Or maybe you're not into football, so you share about the Super Bowl ads. <laughs> maybe you're inclined to share about your latest recipe find or latest restaurant. Maybe you're inclined to share about your next travel destination or some influencer that you have on social media. Share, share, share. We share about things because we enjoy them. See, we can share about the boundless scrolling on our phones, or we can share about the boundless riches of Christ. There is an infinite treasure trove of God's presence and goodness for us to explore and enjoy if we really believe that it's worth exploring. Some of you know, might know that when we moved here to D.C., we, like many people, were looking for a place 
but I had a hard time finding a place to call home. It was a month before we were to arrive, and we still didn't have a place. So after losing out on several offers on homes, I put in an application for a, a, rental, a rental near the Southwest Waterfront Station. So when the home that we now live in popped up online that very same day, we immediately called our realtor and said, go, go, look, on it. go look at it on our behalf. So we were sitting in Vancouver. We viewed our new home through video call and our realtor's phone as he walked through the house. And we said, looks good enough. It met basic requirements. It was close to Metro Station for the kids to get to school. It was close enough for me to bike to church and commute. And it was, we didn't have to do too much to the house. <laughs> Fast forward a few steps. We put in an offer before it went to open house and it was accepted and we were grateful. And so until the day we actually closed and got the keys, we had never been into our home until this moment. Wait, is it going to show? Oh, video cannot be played. Sorry. Technical problems. Uh, it's a video of us entering into the home. That was the very first time that we got, when we got the keys, we had never been into our house, and we actually walked into it. But after moving in, we discovered several surprises. They're mostly good ones. Number one, we discovered that not only did our home meet the basic hopes for our house, it was also one stoplight away from the highway to Virginia and Maryland. So we could get everywhere we needed to go if we needed to. But the even better surprise was is that there was this whole network of trails along the river that we could just get to and bike. And we liked being outside. It's like, wow, this is amazing. Though we were just looking for a home and we, just trust, and we trusted what God provided to us, we, we're discovering, we continue to discover all these benefits of living where we've been able to live because God had provided to us in his grace. We've explored and enjoyed the city from our neighborhood. And even more, we welcome friends and guests from out of town to stay with us and say, look, you get to enjoy this too if you come with it. That's kind of like what living into the mystery of the gospel is like. We step into something that we just know that's what we need to take a step into. God provides it to us. And we begin to see this new life as we move in. New rhythms new things to enjoy because of the kind of life that Jesus offers to us. We move in with God. But the more we move into life with God, living into this mystery of God's revelation in Christ, the more we discover we want to share it with others, that they would see it, that they would enjoy it as well. How do we live into this mystery of God's revelation? Well, we've been learning over the past couple years especially the importance of spiritual practices. You see, entering into the fullness of life with God isn't just a one-time thing. It's like, okay, I made a decision, now I'm in. It's not a series of steps that we move through. Instead, it's this reorienting of our lives. It's a reorienting that we practice with God every day through practices like prayer and solitude and generosity and Sabbath and fasting and Scripture and witness, and service, and community. These are things that we practice. It's not just doing them. We practice them so that we could be made more in the image of Christ. We're moving in to enjoy the boundless riches of Jesus as we practice these things. This is the invitation for all of us today. To live into the mystery of the gospel by being an apprentice of Jesus by walking in the ways that he walked, enjoying life with God, and sharing that life with God just becomes a fruit 
of what you're already doing, which is enjoying life with God. Sharing the mystery is no longer just a task to do, to check off. It's not an option for the super-Christians, as if that were even a real category. Sharing the mystery is just an overflow of enjoying all that God has to offer to you and I. The mystery is now fully revealed in Jesus. So enter in. Move in with God. Practice his ways. Enjoy it and share it abundantly. Amen.